welcome to Building Our Future with me, Bert Broadhead. My first podcast episode was with former Urban Land Institute, or ULI, UK chair, Chris Choa. 30 episodes and 18 months later, I'm delighted to be joined by his successor to discuss her outlook for the shape of change in the built environment and how that's affected her agenda for her two-year term as chair. My guest today is Vanessa Hale, Director of Research at BMP Paribas Real Estate and brand new and youngest ever Chair of ULI UK. Vanessa has 20 years of experience in global strategic research across all real estate sectors in both the UK and the US. Vanessa, big welcome to the programme and congratulations on the new post. Good morning, Bert. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. My first guest on the podcast was uh, Chris Choa, your predecessor as chair of the ULI UK, uh, and you are number 30. So uh, purely kind of coincidentally, but there's a nice bit of, uh, kind of symmetry to that. Nice like it. I know at the ULI annual conference, you set out your goal and vision for your two-year term, I believe. Could you just tell us a little bit about what you are hoping to achieve? Uh, so really the focus for the next two years is looking at the five themes of communities and culture, shaping cities and regions, leadership, innovation in the built environment, and real estate finance and capital markets, um, all of which I think have nice strands that everyone can participate in, which with ULI being a multidiscipline organization really allows for people who have interests outside of what may be their day job to get involved um, and really kind of spearheading some different thinking and thought leadership around um, big picture ideas that are impacting onto the real estate industry as a whole. Uh, and so when when you set out your your vision how how does that actually um take shape like what 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 are your tools to to achieving success uh, i've got a lot of tools in the toolbox i think the the biggest um way we set about the vision was is it was very much a collaboration with chris um obviously as you transition from one leader to the next is is really aligning and and chris and i actually worked quite closely together with the executive committee um which is about 35 individuals across the uk who are members um to really identify what we thought were the next kind of areas that uli needed to be focusing on from a uk perspective so that was kind of where the vision came from and, and then how we kind of were looking at it is saying okay let's get our steering groups together and start actually unpacking what what is the issues what are the problems for example, within the culture and communities aspect, we've had the build to rent products come out of that through the residential council. Um, We're looking at uh, producing a housing with care guide in the next few weeks that will allow for um, people to start having conversations around the later living, the senior living space, and how we approach that not only from the real estate spectrum, but also looking at the influence of technology, looking at the investor's appetite for going into the space and recognizing that the UK has an aging population. Do you feel like we're at a point where real estate really is undergoing a, a, a kind of structural transformation in terms of the breakdown of silos, barriers, and, and challenging a lot of what we we just kind of taken for for granted as being the way of doing things? 
or am I um, am I over reading things? No, I think absolutely. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't have been doing what I've been doing for the past uh, seven years here in the UK. Is real estate is going through a structural change? Um, it's it's growing up. It's getting um, influenced by technology. It's getting influenced by the fact that we're all living for longer, um, and and the reality of what those implications mean for our pensions, what it means for how an institutional investor will invest in assets, how they hold them, um, the reality of the way that we kind of live, work, play is all kind of melded together. We're, we're you know, 90, probably 5% of us are connected to some form of a, you know, phone that's connected to us at all times. And, and that means that we can be accessible for work. It means that we can be accessible on our personal time. You know, that blend means that our spaces are starting to have to also blend. And so I think that we are seeing that kind of fundamental shift and it, it, it's really exciting in lots of ways. Um, I think some of the other industries have probably already gone through this. It's a little bit painful, but I think it's quite exciting and gives us lots of opportunities. That really, is, I suppose what you're talking about is the breaking down of silos and barriers. And that covers a whole a whole host of different things. So one of the things you, you touched on there was, uh, I suppose, asset classes. So the, the idea that, you know, you live somewhere, you work somewhere, you play somewhere, that's breaking down and, and emerging into one. You also mentioned the challenge of how institutional investors think about things, and, and they are very much sectorially focused. How does one blend with the other? I think that's the, that's the question of the day. There, without question, I think will always be a set kind of core assets that will have a place within the community across the UK in major cities and towns. What I think is, is that in order to get longer returns or on, on the income or the opportunity to see the advantages of being able to kind of regenerate an area. Both of those require having a much broader skill set and looking at things in a, a wider discipline than, oh, I'm just going to go in and fix the high street. Actually, it's a much bigger piece. And you can see that with the increase of people with the investment products of looking at ESG and everyone having the discussions of how do we actually define the social. The environmental elements have, to some extent, I think, maybe been answered. There's probably still some questions around that and then how you actually tick all those boxes. But it's that social element that has become much more prevalent in conversations. And I would say that's definitely within the last 18 months. From an investor, and particularly an institutional investor's perspective, there are, there are two elements there. One is, what kind of investable product do we actually want? And is there a transition away from long leases to actually diversified short-term income, but which is kind of semi-permanent by, you know, take a little bit like built-to-rent residential that's constantly rolling. But then the second piece is, how do you manage that in a world which is becoming more operationally focused? I have a very non-traditional real estate background, and I think that is actually how we're go- we as an industry are going to move forward, is acquiring skill sets from backgrounds that aren't in traditional real estate. Um, the, the move towards a more operational asset class across the board, whether it's in offices, whether it's in retail, all of those elements fundamentally have different um, suppliers, different chains of people who have supported those industries. They're not new industries, but actually we need to learn lessons from them. So I think kind of widening the scope of who we employ in, into our industry is going to be one of the big steps that will help us to do that transition. That is, yes, another silo we're talking about. And, and one of the hallmarks mm-hmm. of um, Chris Cheer's tenure at the ULI, from my perspective as, as a lowly member, is um, the ability to bring in loads of different people and... and, and uh, uh, invite 
a lot of different kind of what we consider sectorial focused people say whether it was technology arts whatever into the built environment world which i think is great how do you ensure that there is sufficient structure whilst also opening the palette up as it were to a broad spectrum of people the wider you go outside the real estate bubble you have the the element of having to educate them as much as they need to educate you and and that um, sharing of knowledge that can happen within the ULI sphere. How do they deal? How do we deal with it on the day-to-day basis of as organizations? It's slow. I think that's the reality. Um, it's not something that's going to be happening overnight. Um, even with uh, you know the the pace of change in technology, we still see businesses and companies that are very slowly adapting and trying to figure out what is the exact right discipline to be, you know, embedding into the culture? Is it is it going after the, the core data? Is it actually looking at analytics or is it actually the service side? And I think um, across the disciplines and sharing that knowledge, that's the only way we're going to get there. And it's really difficult to say that it's going to have kind of a silver bullet to answer it tomorrow. Um, from my standpoint, I think I think we continue to just have to have those conversations to learn from other industries that maybe have already started going through what the real estate industry as a whole is just starting to experience. I see kind of two competing movements at the at the moment. On one hand, you've got the kind of democratization movement, which is that ownership of real estate should be freely available for whoever wants to get involved, and whether that's kind of through some crypto enabled blockchain or whatever. And on the other hand, you, you've got this kind of multifaceted operational model developing, which, which clearly appeals to scale models. So being an SME property owner, investor, developer in a world where you need data scientists, um, someone to advise you on culture and well-being, and you know, suddenly this, this hugely complicated piece of kind of urban I suppose, regeneration, really, um, or, or kind of urban living. Do you think they are going to kind of conflict at some point? Yes, um, but in a hopefully positive outcome for the people who live and work and reside in the place. And I like to think in a positive way. I think you have always seen the big behemoths kind of run and, and establish and create something. It doesn't necessarily always tick every box for the consumer, uh, if I put it in a kind of a general term. But what you then have is the unique SMEs who pop in and do something amazing and really drive the space and create the – and I think I think it's that kind of partnership between the two that will exist. I, I don't think we're going to go to everything being you know vanilla box, cookie cutter, et cetera, because we know that that isn't what – Tried that. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't what people really want. Um, but in the same token, there is a place for it. And you can look back at history and see that, you know, when we when we did the the pop-up prefab housing, you know, it wasn't sexy, but it's still around. It still exists. And albeit we're, you know, taking some of that down now. Um, but it served a purpose. And so I think it's kind of that two-fold approach that will work going forward. But it will, there will be conflict. And I think the louder the, the voices of the people who are in the area in that space that will be impacted by it will be, the the response will be coming from them more than it being led by one or the other. So you've got two major publications upcoming through ULI UK, one of which is Harnessing Culture Through Development. Is this something which is building on the, the arts forum or what's the... 
driver behind Very us. much the driver um, was the Urban Art Forum. Um, it was very much Chris's um, MO to be bringing in uh, the arts into uh, the public realm and, and looking at how do we work as a developer? How do we work as a person that creates a place? Um, how important is that arts element to it? And it, it is arts in its widest form. Um, so the um, the group of individuals that have been working on that for the past probably about 18 months um, have put together a really quite exciting document looking at the public art forum space and how that impacts on the development and things that I think people probably need to be thinking about probably further up the the cycle in the development world rather than kind of the afterthought because it's becoming more and more important because of this kind of blending of our lifestyles that people need that space that they can interact with, whether it's through physical art or whether it's through performance art. So I think it's the combination and, and looking at that. So it's going to be quite exciting. I think that's uh, it's, it's a really new place for ULI to be from a UK and Europe standpoint. Yeah, and I think it ties in with your idea of... Um almost branding buildings. So if you go back to what you were saying about trying to move away from the building of ubiquitous boxes and instilling your development buildings places with their own personality, then not only are you kind of doing some social good, but you're also doing yourself a massive favor by by helping to create this brand. So it just feels like something which is an obvious win-win. And the other publication is on uh, housing with care. That could be a number of different things. What, what is that actually covering? <laughs> uh, it's covering looking at the uh, later living, uh, senior living retirement space, but actually looking at a very specific kind of sector within. It's a very fragmented part of our industry. It's a very um, small part of our industry. Um, and when we look at the size and scale of our aging population across the UK, um, it's an area where we are going to continue to face challenges. We don't have enough places and this isn't care homes this is the kind of in between more lifestyle retirement but not full care and looking at how to this is what was what's known as assisted living or no it's 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 a little bit less than assisted yeah. living so this this is what i'm talking about by the fragmentation yeah, yeah. and the definitions and really um uli kind of is put together trying to tackle a the definitions of it and where it sits um there's challenges around planning definitions as well and really saying okay this is this is the space that people will probably be looking at we need to be able to downsize out of our existing homes we may need care in the future how does that get serviced how does you know from an operational standpoint and then keeping all of that in mind looking at it and saying okay if i'm an investor and i want to enter into this space because the demographic story makes sense the potential for scale makes sense how do i go about it that's what the intention of the publication is aiming to do. Well, that ties in nicely with our interview with uh, Justin Shee of the, the Cohab um, mm -hmm. some time ago. And, and one, one of his main arguments is you, know, you can't just use a stick to get um, baby boomers to, to downsize. There's got to be a carrot and somewhere nice for them to, to go and, and something that economically makes sense as well. And, and a key element of that is somewhere nice to go. It, it, it needs to be aspirational. It needs to be something that people want to move to. I mean, let's be honest, no one moves to go into something crummy. Is the right thing to do, again, just come, come back to Justin's point, even thinking in, in terms of places which are specifically for one generation, as it were, should we be thinking broad, more broadly than that? Um, obviously, this 
publication that's coming up is very much focused on a single generation. Um, I would say with my BNP Paribas hat on that um, we've been strong proponents of multi-gen living um, and, and being able to be mixed tenure, multiple generations living in one place because there's been lots of research that's been done in the academic world showing that we benefit as human beings by being exposed to different generations and different lifestyles. So there's a place for both, right. I think. I've also heard you're expanding um, the ULI as a as a kind of concept, so it's moving into advisory services. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what is behind this and what it's going to look like? So advisory services is not uh, new to kind of the ULI sphere. It's um, more new to the UK market and the European market. Um, over the past decade or so, we've been doing basically big, chunky projects with uh Usually it ends up being a public sector, a local authority in the case for the for the UK, where there is a challenge around a particular site or a particular area of their coverage and trying to unpack and consult with them on how to move the project forward. Um, recently, we completed one up in Glasgow. I don't have the findings and unfortunately wasn't there. So I'm not entirely certain what the outcomes will be, but it was um, over a course of a few days um, spent going, looking at the sites, talking to all the players in the, in the project, um, both from the community, from the people who are currently actively occupying in the space, uh, commercially and residentially, but then also looking at what's the potential for the for the outcomes in the area. Um, we've had some really great success stories across Europe. Frankfurt and Offenbach was one yep. really good example where ULI provides experts that are multidiscipline backgrounds to the conversation in one go. And it allows for the local authority to be able to have a conversation that's unbiased by anyone's corporations, but has the skill sets where they can tap into it in a kind of single shot and say, right, here's the situation, here's our problem, help us to kind of unpack what we need to be doing. Who does the ULI pull in to, to undertake this work? We, we have, obviously, a, a wide variety of members. We look at that. We will look into it and say, if we are not aware of someone who may be a specialist in go with airports, um, we would look at it and say, all right, who in our membership is you know an expert in the airport industry that we would want to perhaps have a conversation with? Through the Navigator, we actually also have a, a site where you can put your name forward and just say, look, I'd like to be involved in these. Put your hand up. And there it is. You know, it, it's very much a case of it's a two-way street. It, it, it's a bit of a kind of call to action, people who want to volunteer their time because it isn't a paid-for uh, opportunity. Um, but it, it gives you that kind of great feedback of, you know, having an impact. And Urban Plan is obviously something which, uh, which you and I have been pushing and, and growing. Can you just explain a little bit about what, uh, what the program is about? Yeah, Urban Plan is a phenomenal program, if I do say so myself. Um, it is going into state schools and um, working with 16 to 18-year-olds. It's a day-long um, project where they have a, a board game and a computer module, and each team gets assigned uh, different roles within the team. You, know, you have a developer, you have someone who does finance, you have someone who's responsible for the marketing, um, and they get a challenge that they get set out where they have to rebuild a site, but they have restrictions in place. They've got affordable housing elements they've got to deliver on, and, and they've got social elements, like a, I believe it's a skate park, um, where they have to build what becomes the most robust development for the site, but also stacks up financially. And then the great thing is for us as the industry 
is twofold. Is one, we go in and volunteer and act as advisors throughout the day. Um, so they get to have interaction with us. Two, they have to present their findings. They have to present their project. Um, and the winner of winning team of the projects gets to have a trip into London and they get to go to the living room in, in, G, in GLA um, and have a you know big kind of do and, and have a celebration of, of being part of a unique group of kids. But I think the, the biggest takeaway for everybody for the industry is, is actually exposing a whole bunch of kids who probably haven't had any insight to real estate being an industry that they could go into. When I started in real estate, A, I didn't didn't really know what it what it entailed, but but B, what it entails now is is totally different to what it what it was then. So just way wider. Yeah. Have there been kind of um poster child uh, success stories of people coming through urban plan and, and going beyond that? So we have had a few students who have gone on to apprenticeships um within the, the built environment, which is really exciting. Um, and it's quite interesting. I guess they're all in, in about to do their A-levels at that point um, in, in their journey. And so I think it's, we've, we've done some post-survey work and how many of them have kind of raised and gone, I've never thought about the real estate industry. And now, actually, that's something I'm I'm considering. So it's a slower burn. Um, and I'd like to say I've got like 10 people I could point you to, but I don't think we're quite there yet. But it, it, it's showing quite positive signs. If you could target one um, specific kind of sector of people or group of people who are underrepresented in ULI by kind of skill set or, or age or what have you, who who would it be? I think there is amazing um, opportunity with diversity of thought. And so the more engaged we can become with different, and I hate to say this, it's not actually industries within or, or special specializations within it's looking at age profile and making sure that we have diversity of thought um looking at gender looking at ethnicity um i think because we are moving into the silo breakdown it's looking at people who are outside the real estate bubble who do things that probably impact into real estate but they've never thought about it and we've never thought about it so bringing in some of the the more um, tech yep. industry, um, bringing in people who, like I said before, are more in the hospitality sector. Um, I think looking at the public sector and the private sector combined, you know, it's just a collective, we need to be more open. I think the, the, the element that ULI has that is the benefit is, is the, the global aspect as well and being able to, learn lessons from other locations, which is quite, ex- I, th- I think, quite exciting. Um, but really quite the interesting thing that I've, I've been, I guess, yeah, you talk about years in the industry, you start to realize that what worked in one location may not necessarily work if you were to try to replicate it exactly, um, you know, A to A, but actually if, if it causes you to start thinking there might be another solution, then that's where... I think there's the the opportunity. So this leads us on to our, our final three questions. The first of which is, if you could recommend our listeners one book which has impacted your or influenced your thinking and what you do, what would it be? I think, actually, um, it was quite a pivotal book for me um, very early on in my career, and that was Good to Great with, by Jim Collins. Um I think working in a team is extraordinarily important and understanding how to be a great leader. 
um, and, and recognizing where you, you always will be improving. You always be having to change and learn and be open to that, but also how you create that team around you is super important. Is this a book which you read and kind of take on board the lessons and forget about, or is this a kind of well-thumbed? It's a well-thumbed. And, and I think, I think as you go throughout your career, there's different stages where, something probably resonates with you more than, you know, when I started out, I probably read all of it cover to cover and then went, okay, I'm probably only on chapter two. Right. Um, but actually, I think as you progress through your career, there's there's quite interesting tidbits that you pick up and go, wow, okay, forgot about that. Need to rethink, you know, got to get all the right people on the bus. Uh, thank you. That will be added to our list. <laughs> um, so, yeah, next up, your favorite building. I am originally from Chicago. Um, I, as I kind of alluded to, don't have a traditional real estate background. Um, when I did make the transition over into real estate, I would say that probably for a multitude of reasons, my favorite building is the Monadnock building. And it's a not a well-known building, um, unless you may be in the architecture sphere. Um, it was a Burnham and Root building. It was one of their first I think... Is, is this downtown It is Chicago? downtown Chicago. Um, it's a 16 and 17 story brick building. And I say 16 and 17 because it's actually two buildings that have been, that were basically built uh, in a, a 80, 1883 and 87 or something like that. Um, but the interesting thing was it was one of the first skyscrapers. It was a brick skyscraper, but the second half, which was built using steel, um, it is the best showcase of, I think, innovation in our industry. It was at a time where we were looking at challenges on how do we go up. We, we knew we needed to densify. And if you looked at one half of the building, it's like it's been built probably similar to Legos. It's bricks upon bricks. <laughs> right. Whereas this, the other half is built more like, I think, Tinker Toys, but I don't know if that makes any sense, in the sense that it was the way that it was able to disperse the weight of the building right. um, was able to go through the steel structure. And so it was, a, it was a really good example of us as an industry trying to move forward a heck of a long time ago. Um, but it also was one of the first buildings that I was working on um, when I started in investment. Yeah, I always find it amazing just lo looking at those buildings in any case and just wondering how on earth they got built. I know you can say the same thing about like you know, St. Paul's <laughs> Cathedral and what have you, but the yeah, Empire yeah. State Building even, and I know that's, that's later on, it's still going to blaze my mind that people managed yeah. to get that high. Yeah. Which technology business or idea is your tip to impact the built environment in the coming years? I think, and this is me being really outside of the box here, and I, I don't know anyone that's currently doing it. Um, I think we have a, a big shift coming um, with personal data. And I think that that is going to have a very large influence on how our buildings operate. Um, and, and that's buildings in the widest sense. Um, I think with recent events over the past year or so, um, I think people's awareness of their data um, and what that has potential to do, I, I think we're moving into a space where we may see people taking more ownership of that. And um, how that will influence onto the built environment is going to be really fascinating to watch. So I was reading, uh, I'm just scanning the bookshelf right now because I can't remember what it's called. Oh, the, the Big Nine. Um, sorry, I can't remember the author's name. Um, 
and this is this is a book on Amy Webb. On, <laughs> Amy Webb, yeah, there you go. It's on. Uh, thank you. On um, AI, and her idea is that somehow we all need to take ownership back of our of our personal data, and, you, and effectively everybody has their own kind of cloud database of all the data that's that's stored on them, and you permit the likes of Facebook, Google, etc., to to use your data in exchange for services. But fundamentally, you are the central repository, and they are they are having temporary access can be cancelled at any time to your data. That may be horribly idealistic, but I kind of love the idea of it. I'm not, I have not read Amy's book, but I'm definitely going to read it. It's, um, it's pretty brutal. <laughs> it, it, her suggestion of what happens if we don't go down that route is really quite it, I, I would imagine it could be quite scary. Um, but I, I do, I think actually, I think it's going to come to a point, we can look at it now where we're starting to put, you know, there, there's monitor systems that are being put in place into office buildings and we're looking at facial recognition in the retail space and, and the public, you know, infrastructure spaces. And actually, I think there's a big part that's coming uh, from a personal data standpoint and, and how everyone will work with that or what they will release or not release. And there's, I'm sure be multiple of businesses that will kind of spin off of that as well. But I, I think that's going to be a big, big ticket item for us in the next kind of 10 years. From your um, reasonably unique perspective, do, do you think that the tail is slightly wagging the dog? And by that, I mean, Particularly when you come to smart cities, etc., there is a um, assumption that everything needs to be optimized. So you take what already exists and optimize it, rather than thinking of totally new ways. I think that technology has just been something to motivate change, and that it will become part and parcel as we move forward. And I, I think it kind of goes back to my my favorite building analogy. Um, we have always, as human beings. I think, been innovators and technology is now just the way in which it's showcasing itself. But I'm sure that along the way, something else will, will come in. Thank you, Vanessa. So final thing is, how can people get in touch and how can people sign up to the ULI? Yeah, um, go to uli.org. Um, the website um, has all the contact links. My contact links are on there. Um, and you can also find me on LinkedIn. Is it free membership for young people? Uh, it's not free membership, but it is a discounted membership for young people. But there are some events that are free to attend. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, please check it out. Uh, Vanessa, thank you very much for coming on and uh, best of luck with the, uh, with the chair. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. If you're not already a member, do head over to the ULI website and see what's on offer. There's chapters across the globe, and it's bringing people together to plan for a better built environment, so I'd thoroughly recommend giving it a try. In the UK, we'll look forward to seeing the work on housing with care and culture and development that emerges under Vanessa's tenure. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please do tell a colleague or share a link from the website or on social media. We're also now available to download on partner websites Unisu and Infobode. I shall be back in two Fridays' time when I hope you'll join me for a fresh episode of Building Our Future. Mm-hmm.